Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstam for, as he continues our latest sermon series, What's the Church For? A study in 1 Timothy. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the internet. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. A buzzword in the church community is truth. It's something you hear frequently because of the importance of the real story. Christianity isn't the only religion with truth claims. Everyone has them, even those that would say they're atheists. The reason the truth is something we talk so often about is very simple. Understanding God's story and who He is is paramount. His gospel message brings salvation. We need to be clear in both our understanding and explanation of that to the world. The best way to do that is to model that truth in our going. We've been learning these past two weeks what the church is actually for. Today we will see what Jesus' truth looks like in action. How does it play out within a church body? How are the leaders of the body to conduct themselves? What about the other members within the body? What are they to do? Let's listen in together as Pastor Michael explains, we are for modeling the truth with integrity. We've been going through this series asking what church is for. And that scene happens uh, on the road. The disciples are walking with Jesus and they're talking amongst themselves. Um, and Jesus kind of plays it cool. He doesn't bring it up. But they get to where they're going. He says, what were y'all talking about? And you, we just read they were embarrassed. They didn't say anything. But he knew that they were talking about who's the greatest. And he says, look, you guys have got it all wrong. Um, the... What God is looking for isn't the person who has the best, you know, lordship over people, but the person who serves other people the best. So I want to bring up again this, this phone idea, and I want to bring it up for you guys in a, in a different way. I want you to imagine, and if you're like me, this will be a stretch. I want you to imagine you, you have a bunch of money, all right, and you're in Silicon Valley in California where all this technology stuff happens, where Facebook is developed and all these technologies come out, and there's somebody who comes to you and says, hey, I want some of your money. You have a lot. I want some. Will you invest in my company? And they hand you a prototype, all right? So you get this thing, and it's, I mean, realistically, these two things don't look that much different. There's not much that separates them. Right, except this one doesn't work, and this one does. So you're talking to the person, you're asking them whether, and they're like, "Oh, this this technology is going to cure cancer. It's going to bring all these people together, blah blah blah." And and this is like the platform. This is how it's going to be conveyed. And you say, "All right, well, show me how it works." Well, this is a prototype. It doesn't function. Well, you want me to give you a bunch of money, but what you're showing me to test is a pretty box. Like, yeah, 
but we're going to make it. It's going to be awesome. Every, like, every, we, we've got all these plans and these algorithms, and it's all going to work well. We've done some testing and with the software, and but okay, well, show me the software. Well, it'll be in this. Like, okay, well, it's not in this. This is nothing. So let me ask you, are you inclined or disinclined to invest in, in a non-working prototype? Disinclined. Solid disinclined. <laughs> if you're going to invest in something, you want it to have substance, not just a pretty box. And so in the same way as Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, look, guys, it's not just you guys have it all together, you have you're trimmed, you can speak well, you can put all these things. It's not about that. It's do you have the substance of character to be able to serve other people? And so when we ask the question, what's church for? Today, as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, the church is for truth, and we are for modeling the truth with integrity. So would you open up your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read together after we pray. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you're using a story Bible, it's on page 830, 830 in the story Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's pray together. <laughs> Jesus, your word is challenging. Um, God, the way you talk is backwards to the way that our sin has wired us to think about the world. So, Lord, as we come to your word, we do so humbly, um, understanding that you are the one that we follow. You are the one that we're seeking guidance from and direction. Lord, we pray that you would speak clearly through your word today, and that you'd give us hearts to respond to what it is that you're saying. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." So as, we've, as Paul has been walking through this letter to Timothy, he's been explaining, hey, this is what's going on. These are some problems that are going on in your church in chapter 1. There's some false teachers that have come up. He says in chapter 2, what we discussed, this is what your worship gatherings are supposed to look like. And they come from a pure heart. It's not just necessarily what you're doing, but it's the heart that you do it with. And now he turns his attention to the structure of the church. And there's a couple of difficulties that we face when we bring this up. The first one is that we are in a historical moment, and there are thousands of years since this text was written, and there are thousands of different people who've read it, and there are thousands of different people who've taken the vocabulary in this text to describe something that may or may not be lined up with this text. Which is a lot of words to say. People have taken words like bishop, and overseer, and pastor, and elder, and deacon. They have taken these words in the text and made something, used that as a description for something that 
maybe sometimes doesn't fit. So what, our goal this morning is to look at the text and figure out what is the text saying? What did God say originally? And so he starts off with, if, anybody, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So this office of overseer, um, if you're using a different translation, it might be translated as bishop. Um, but this idea is more familiar with what we call a pastor. This is, what, what do you look for when you're talking about a pastor? And if somebody wants to be a pastor, hey, that's a good thing. It's a good thing, it's a desiring a noble task. But just because you want to do something doesn't necessarily mean that God wants you to do it. There are some things that go into that. And I can see, maybe we're tempted um, to say, you know what, that is not something I want to do. I do not have any desire to be a pastor. You know, I'm certainly happy to like, listen to what you're saying, Michael, but like, this don't, this don't, this is not for me, like, right? We're going to see as we go on that a lot of this stuff is familiar to us as just good Christian. The standards that, that the overseer, the standards that the pastor teaches is, is just modeling a life of faith. Church leaders must be models of the truth. And if they're modeling the truth, the idea is that they're modeling the truth for you to be able to follow suit. So let's continue reading. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Let me pause. Um, The idea here, and there's a lot of different things that are said in here, the idea is that that first one must be above reproach. And the word is, is it, it doesn't have any handles on it. There's nothing for an enemy to grab onto and pull down. Um, if you were on this rock wall, you see we've got these, these plastic things that are kind of bolted into the wall. How would you climb that wall if there were no handles? It'd just be a sheet of plastic stuff, poly thing. I don't know what it is. But it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to grab onto. The idea is, is there stuff in, in your life that the enemy is going to grab onto that is going to use? Um, more specifically, he says, you know, must be above reproach, that idea of not having, any can, hand, ugh, not having any handles, the husband of one wife, somebody who's committed to the spouse that they have been with. And there have been times where this text has been saying, you know, if you've ever been divorced, then you're disqualified. If you, you know... And and the idea is, are they faithfully committed to the spouse that they are now with? That's not to say that if you're not married, you can't be a pastor. And it's not to say that if when you didn't believe in Jesus, there was a whole bunch of stuff that went on in your life, that you are automatically disqualified. It's a question of your character at the time that you're seeking the office. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. This is just somebody who is reliable, somebody who's level-headed, somebody you can come and talk to, somebody who's hospitable, who isn't just, you know, let me hoard up all the, the blessings that God has given me for myself. Let me share them with other people, strangers, people I've never met before. Let me invite them into my home. Let me share my food. And all of this not having a handle is because the picture is this guy's like a father in the church. 
And we're going to see that this image is reinforced later on. But he, but he says in verse 4, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? See, as we ask what church is for, we have different ideas of what church is. You know, oftentimes we refer to, I'm going to church. And what we mean is, I'm going to the church building. Or, I'm going to church and I'm going to the gathering of the church together as we sing and preach. And we're like, we use these terms in different ways, but the church in this imagery is a family. And if the individual person who wants to lead the church doesn't do a good job in his family, setting a good example in his family, then what's he going to do in the family of God? Does that make sense? So he's like a father to the church. And then he's not without an adversary. Let me just point this out in these last couple of verses. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought of by... thought. Bleh, excuse me. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So these two ideas both have this warning of, hey, this is not going to be an easy task, and he's not going to get to walk free through this. There is an adversary. And so two things. He can't be somebody who just came to Jesus and just started following Jesus because Jesus teaches a parable about different soils. And sometimes the gospel goes into somebody's life and they get distracted by other things. And sometimes the gospel goes into other life and it just gets burned up. So you don't want somebody who doesn't have any roots to be leading the church. Because they might fall into the condemnation of the devil. And the condemnation can either be the same condemnation that the devil got, which was, I know better than God. Let me take up you know, his throne. I can do better than him. Well, he got condemned for that. Or a condemnation that the devil brings. Like the devil is the one who's bringing him down. Likewise, this, is, this, this leadership in the church goes beyond the church. What we do here on a Sunday morning, what we do on Wednesday nights, what we do throughout the week is seen by the world. So does the person who's leading the church have a good reputation in the community? Not does the community agree with everything that that person is teaching, because the gospel is offensive and lots of people have trouble with it. Not do they agree with everything he's teaching, but do they, do they trust his character? Does he have a good reputation with his character? Again because he can fall into a snare of the devil. So what we do here is observed by the outside. I just want to remind you that we're in the, in the middle of a, um, of a service project. I hate using the word project, but I don't have a better one for it. We're in the middle of a service project to serve people who are not connected to our body. We're taking a collection to raise a gift for home, a ministry that we're not going to get, you know, we're not going to get money back from them. We're not going to get members from them. We're not asking for them to attend our services and boost our net. We're not getting anything from them. We are just serving the community. So can we do that? Or when we come up to people and say, hey, I want to do something good for you. They're like, you? Like, why would you do something nice? Like, you are the angry person. You're the person who doesn't let anybody into your home. Your church is known for being, like, puffed up, and you're all about yourselves. Why would you want to even, like, do you get what I'm saying? 
Let's continue on. Church leaders must be models of the truth. Church servants must be models of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So deacons, um, I grew up in a Baptist tradition, and this is one of those instances where the office doesn't necessarily describe what the text says. Um, and that, I don't want to step in that any more than I already have. <laughs> simply to say that the word deacon, the vocabulary word deacon, means simply servant, somebody who serves. So um, Deacons likewise, servants likewise, people who are serving in the church, there are also standards for how you serve. Just because you want to serve and, and lead some kind of a ministry in the church as like a service ministry doesn't mean that you're necessarily qualified to do that. What are the qualifications? Well, a lot of them have to do with the way that you talk to people which is really interesting. Um, it must be dignified, you know, have a respectable demeanor, but not double-tongued. You're not talking behind people's backs. Not addicted to much wine. You have self-control. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Um, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So these people are gracious in Christ, and they're tested with a clear conscience. Sometimes, and especially for guys who went to school, there's, there's times where we look at where people who have been to school look at people who haven't been to school and they're like, y'all don't know what you're talking about. You haven't been in the books the way that I have. And, and that is just the wrong attitude. It's a sinful attitude that comes from pride. What I want you to hear today is that you don't have to know all of the answers. You don't have to know the systematic theology and the soteriology and the eschatology to be able to be a good servant of Christ. He says, deacons serve with a good conscience of the mystery of Christ. There's stuff about the faith that we don't understand. Some of it is still a mystery, even if you have read those books, and if you don't, have, you don't have the humility to admit that, there's a different problem. But I'm saying you don't have to have it all figured out and worked out and know all the answers to say, I want to serve Jesus. But can you represent that mystery? The th can you hold in tension the things you don't quite understand with faith, with a good conscience? Because the elders, the pastors, they're going to test you. Not necessarily that you have the right answers all lined out, but that you are seeking and following Christ and seeking to serve Him. Because if you're on that path, if you're continually putting Jesus in front of you, there's times where you're going to get the answers wrong for a moment. And as you grow and as you develop and as you pursue Christ, those things are going to come back together. Um, the, the English Standard Version is the, is, the, uh, is the standard that we use as, as just for 
a basis for preaching. We preach from it every week just for the sake of saying this is what we use and we can hand it to guests. This is one instance where I don't think that they've done a great translation. Um, the word that shows up in our ESV says uh, wives, um, their wives in verse 11. The word is really well translated in the New American Standard, the NASB, it just says women. The word is just women. Um, so we saw in the last chapter where, uh, where Paul was talking about how do we do worship gathering, he says a couple of words. He says instructions to men and instructions to women. He does the same thing when he's talking about deacons. There's women deacons and men deacons, both. And there, there, there's not a double standard for these people who are serving. These are the same kind of things. I'm trying to find my place on the page, if you'll excuse me. I'm sorry. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. This is this, these ideas are consistent with what he's already said about deacons before. And then he comes back together and says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and households well. So I think here we have even more clarity that he's talking not necessarily a husband, but the idea of committed faithfulness to your spouse and to your family, and this idea that the church is a family. Because as you serve well, as you lead well within the family, there's honor that comes with that. We know this from our own family reunions. Um, the people who don't have to be in the middle of everything and, and you know, have all of the attention of the family reunion around, the people who sit on the outside of the room and the young people will come and talk to them because they've served well in the family. They want to hear what their stories are. They get that honor, not because they have you know, forced it upon people like, you're going to follow me, but I've served you. You know me. So they get that, a similar kind of honor. But look at this. For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing, that honor for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Even when you don't have all the answers lined out and know all of how all of the ideas connect, do you have confidence in Christ Jesus? That woman has confidence in the rope she's sitting on. Because she's got a smile on her face. It doesn't look to me much like she's uncomfortable. She's got a confidence in the faith. She might not understand the ins and outs of how all the pulleys work and might not understand the physics of gravity that are holding her intention against the rope, but she's still got confidence in the rope. As you serve, as these deacons serve more and more, they have a greater confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There's a greater faith that comes as we try to put it to action. There's a place for learning. We need to be continual learners. But if our learning doesn't drive us to practice, then at some point we're going to be in a broken prototype, something that's empty, that might look good on the outside, might have the right answers on the surface, but isn't functional. So here's the point. We've been through all of these things. It's really uncomfortable as like a preacher to say, hey, this is what you should look for in a preacher. Um, it's like, I, I don't even want to make a, 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 
a comparison to it. But it, it's uncomfortable to say those things. But here's the reason why I have confidence to be able to say it. Not because I have confidence in all of the things, but that this is Christ's word, and it is all pointing to him as the chief shepherd. Would you look with me in verse 14? Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth, of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So church leaders must be models of the truth. Church servants must be models of the truth because the church is a pillar of truth in the world. The church and, and, the, and these verses, these first two verses, are the central point of the whole letter. Um, and it's what I have been driving to throughout these last couple of weeks. Remember how we started. When are the rules of the house the most clear? When you break them. So he's clarifying the rules of the house because there's some that have been broken. He's saying, look, I'm writing to you so that you'll know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Household of God. We're talking about church. Not a house. As, as he describes the purpose of the church, he still has in mind this idea of a family. That we grow together in Christ as a family. It's the household of God, but it's built upon Christ, this mystery. And he uses a song, which I'm a fan of. He, he starts going into this song, which was probably circulated. Everybody knew the lyrics and the melody of this song. We don't know the melody anymore, but we've got the lyrics printed here. He, referring to Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Hey, we sing very similar songs today. We did it today. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, a glorious day. Like we sing this truth. Everything we do is based upon the gospel. And as we talk about the men who God is using to lead and serve, the men who God is calling to lead the church, the men and women who make up the church and are serving the church, all of these people are pointing to Christ, the chief shepherd, because he did the hard work. We can be a country club organization with a membership role and collections and all of those things, but if it's not founded upon Christ and lived out in his spirit, then we're wasting our time. The central purpose of the letter is what our purpose has been to ask what church is for. Um, a pillar, what would that bridge look like without those pillars underneath it? And that would be a pretty picture. And it's a hymn of the mystery of the gospel. He brings back this mystery. It's, it's this sense of, I believe that the gospel is true. I have come to a place where I trust that Jesus has died for my sins. And that seems like a very specific issue that Jesus has solved. He, he's, he died for my sins. Me and God now can have a real relationship. The mystery is the implications that if Christ has forgiven your sins, and her sins, and his sins, and all the sins of the world, how then do we live together if I don't have to forgive sin? It's been paid for in full. 
when somebody has hurt me or disappointed me, how do I behave towards that person knowing that their sin has been paid for? When a leader who has good qualifications, has good character, isn't just a good character, not somebody we'd put on TV, but somebody who has real, good, genuine, tested character, when those people, despite their character, and despite the Spirit of God working in them, disappoint me, will I turn to Christ? Will I be able to forgive and to serve together? Because, and I, I just, I love bringing this back in. We love 1 Corinthians 13, all about love. You know, that love chapter isn't necessarily about marriage, it's about how we work in a church. We forgive freely. And if you haven't been in church long enough to be hurt, like just give me two minutes. We're imperfect people working together for something that's beyond ourselves. It's built on Christ. It's what he's calling us to do. That's a mystery. That is the mystery of godliness. How do a bunch of broken people get together and serve God in a way that's honoring to him? Great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery is great, but the point is the same. Jesus came to save sinners, and there is one mediator between God and man. Christ is our chief shepherd, and, and, and here's the implicit. Everything that's been underlying this is we talked about how we're the, for modeling the truth with integrity. We grow into who we follow. The people that you choose to follow are the people that you will grow into. You will learn from their mistakes, bad and good, but if they have the good character and they are the kind of person who's constantly pointing to Jesus, then we're on the right track. We're for modeling the truth with integrity. That's what church is for. So what does that look like for grace this week? What does that look like for grace in the coming months as we choose to serve the community? As you reflect on those questions, I'd invite you to write down some answers on your connection card. I know we say it every week, and it's always awkward for me to say it, but I think it will be helpful for you to write it down. It will be helpful for us to be able to pray with you specifically where you're at. This morning, God, what is God asking you to do in grace this week?